Give me a go, no go for launch. Just when you think you're out, they pull you back in. I was gonna say something that was not true. I, I don't know why we do these. Let's make film history. We are go for launch. Welcome back, everybody, to the Almost Sideways podcast. We are so glad you are joining us today. It is episode 122. We're recording this Sunday, April 18th, 2021, at about 1 o'clock Pacific time. I am your host, Terry Plucknett. Joining me are Todd Plucknett and Zach Saltz. And this is this is kind of the big one. This is our one of our favorite episodes of the year as we give our full Oscar preview. You guys excited? Oh, yeah. Finally, yeah, one week away. <laughs> Finally. Definitely. I think this will be the best Oscar prediction podcast we've ever done in the month of April. It also could be the worst, though. So, I mean, uh, you could say it might be the best one ever, but we did do one in Vegas. So that wasn't in April, though. Just it remember. wasn't in April. It's true. No. It's true. It's true. So, yeah, we're going to be talking all things Oscar. And uh, before we get into anything else, uh, make sure that you guys participate in our Oscar challenge. Uh, fill out your ballot. See if you can predict who's going to win. Um, I'm trying to remember, Todd, how many years has it been now? Uh, well, I think the first, year we, the first year we had the website, I think. Yeah, so is this like the 13th annual Oscar challenge? That sounds right. I wrote it on the one prediction article. Yeah. It goes back know. a ways, you know, like when Todd... 13th annual. When Todd predicted the lion in winter to win, you know, but uh, in the heat of the night, beat it. And of course, that, you know, that when Bob Hope was hosting, it goes back a ways. It does. It does. So make sure, yeah, make sure that you are, uh, that you fill that out. Uh, that'll be closing uh, probably sometime around like noon, the day of the Oscars. So make sure you, uh, you fill that out and see if you can beat us. All right. Well, uh, let's, let's talk beverages. Zach. What beverage are you partaking of for this uh, special occasion? I could not do this uh, with alcohol. Uh, it, there's <laughs> just too many nominees, too many numbers. I'm actually filling out my bracket as we go along this podcast. So I recommend everybody do the same. Just remember that there's no way you're going to beat Kyle Heck. It's a futile endeavor. Maybe I should say that to the end. but It's, it's true. Zach's bold prediction for the Oscars that Kyle Heck will win the Oscar challenge. It seems to happen every year. It does. So, all right. Todd, what are you drinking? Uh, this is scotch. The Carlisle blended scotch whiskey. Very nice. Olive. Very nice. Well, I mean, I, I, I looked at this and like, this is like one of the like standards of our podcast is talking Oscars and, and this final prediction show. So I went to Ridgewalker and got like their, their signature brew. This is the long stride IPA. And it is, and they, they even have a mascot. His name is Sir Longstride. Um, he's some sort of soldier, like Viking type soldier. But yeah, yeah. So we're, we're, we're all set to go. Are they allowing drinks at the Oscars? Because, I mean, if Diane Keaton is there, how is she going to perform? As we were talking about last week, you know, some, some celebrities like to partake of alcohol. I mean, is it, is it really the Oscars if people aren't drunk? I don't Maybe know. that's more of the Golden Globes, though. I guess that's more of the Golden Globes. I, I I've heard there's been like debate over whether or not they're even going to have uh, require masks since they're going to be so socially distanced. 
because it's just the nominees are, and their guests that are going to be there. But I, I hope know. I hope we get someone like a Jason Sudeikis who just shows up in plaid and like a blue jeans, a hoodie. <laughs> yeah, a hoodie, yeah. That that would be an Oscar first. That would that would. All right, well, let's get into, uh, before we get to uh, talking Oscars, we do have our movies that we watch every week that we need to report on. I love this movie so much. I did not really like this film at all. This is the most Zack movie ever made. You gotta see it. Movie reviews. So let's report on those first, and we're gonna go to Todd and the Cager first. All right. So uh, this week I watched the 1989 movie directed by Adam Rifkin called Never on Tuesday. And uh, nice. this stars Peter Berg and Andrew Lauer, who are friends who get into an accident. Uh, they crash into the car driven by Tuesday, who is played by C- Claudia Christian. And she is like the most beautiful girl they've ever seen. That They get stranded out in the desert trying to find somebody to... Uh, to ask for help and they try to woo her, but she's a lesbian and it's like a series of people that come by that are little to no help, including Oscar winner, Nicholas cage, who simply plays man in red sports car. And he has got like this ridiculously giant prosthetic nose. And he's like sobbing the whole time. He actually kind of sounded like a, like pretty boy Ralph and shallow how, and he's literally on screen for less than 30 seconds right at the beginning. And it's weird as shit. It's just like pure, overindulgent Nicolas Cage in all his glory. But uh, the rest of the movie has got like some uh, more like over the top dream sequences and uh, her coming to actually kind of appreciate them. But there's also a bunch of these more, uh, a bunch more cameos like this, like Carrie Elwes and Emilio Estevez play tow truck drivers. Judd Nelson's a motorcycle cop. Charlie Sheen is a thief and Gilbert Gottfried shows up as he's like some sort of salesman. Uh, he's the highlight of the movie, and it reminded me of his pimp character in Saved by the Bell, Wedding in Las Vegas. It's basically the same character, and it almost looks like it could have been on the same set. But uh, uh, the scenes are weird. They all like, kind of overlap on each other. Evidently, they like ran out of money, and so they like took the ends of the uh, of the film in each canister and spliced them together to try to finish the movie and save money, which is just beautiful for this kind of thing. It, it, it kind of feels like a mid-90s independent movie uh but i mean the director was making his uh debut and he was working consistently for 30 years after that he directed the last movie star in 2019 which i have said is bruce uh burt reynolds uh, best performance and his last performance uh, and i i think it could it, it feels like it was like ushering in an era of like this type of movie being told in this way it could have been spiced up by like a tarantino wannabe kind of thing but I mean, this movie was never actually officially released in the U.S., so I can't say that it actually inspired anything, but it does kind of feel like that. But, I mean, it does kind of go, eventually get into, like, some dumb, like, male gaze, gay jokes, virginity jokes. But it's like a TNA 80s movie without nudity, and it's, like, kind of slapstick. And watching movies like this for the cage are weird because I would have never turned it on if he wasn't in it, but he's only in it for 30 seconds and he's uncredited, but I, I'm going to complete his filmography and I had, to, I had to go with this one as well. And I could see like reviewers saying like, oh yeah, shit, never on Tuesday. I wouldn't watch this any day or something like that. Well, I didn't actually hate the movie, but I kind of hate myself for kind of enjoying it. I'm giving it two stars and it puts it number 71 on the cager between Rage and Primal. And I, I, it's hard to even, uh, you know, consider this a Nicolas Cage movie, but there we are. Very Free nice. on YouTube. 
So in the pantheon of great Nicolas Cage performances, we have, you know, Ben Sanderson, Stanley Goodspeed, Charlie Kaufman, and Man in Red Car. Man in Red Sports Car. Oh, Red Sports Car, excuse me. Okay. And Fu Manchu, of course. Of course. Of course. Of course. So I don't know what's, but did did he have some like debt for blow or something? I mean, it is the eighties. Like you have to pay off someone. Is this a favor? I don't know. I mean, you look at all these other people in there. I mean, Charlie Sheen was like one of the Kings in Hollywood at the time. He was in this for like five seconds. Charlie Sheen was also in Deadfall too. Maybe there's some sort of weird connection between these movies. Conspiracy theory. All right. Well, uh, that's uh, that's our trip into the cager. Now, Zach, take us into the Criterion Collection. The, the review lasted longer than uh, Nicolas Cage, Cage's performance. That's true. <laughs> uh, interesting. Okay, so uh, we talk a lot about, I think we've done categories before about um, follow-ups to Oscar-winning directors or Oscar-winning mm. performances. We haven't done a whole lot of films leading up to that filmmaker or actor winning an Oscar. So in my Criterion Dive this week, uh, I explored Jane Campion's film Before the Piano, which is a 1990 film called An Angel at My Table, which was released on Criterion quite a while ago. Um, and it is basically the biography, autobiography, I guess, or based on the autobiography of a New Zealand poet named Janet Frame, who's played by three actresses in the movie, uh, Alexia Keough, Karen Ferguson, and, Mo- and Carrie Fox is the adult uh, Janet Frame. And Janet Frame was um, a brilliant writer, brilliant poet. Uh, she grew up um, in this kind of village in New Zealand, had a very warm, loving family, but she was sort of unconventional in, in a lot of ways. She had this kind of big sort of Bob Ross Afro uh, hair. She also didn't really want to fall into the traditional like feminine uh, you know, path uh, of becoming a teacher. Uh, she really wanted to be a, a published poet. And um, as a result of sort of a misdiagnosis, and she has a couple panic attacks in the movie, and she's not maybe the most comfortable in terms of social um, uh, comfort, uh, she is diagnosed as a schizophrenic, misdiagnosed as a schizophrenic, and she spends eight years in a mental institution. Um, And with an incorrect diagnosis, she goes through electroshock therapy and a bunch of other shit. so basically, the movie sounds like a downer, but it's really not. Campion has this great way of maintaining levity throughout the movie. Um, you really uh, are kind of are in awe at how this woman, even though she's, again, somewhat withdrawn and maybe a little bit um, unsure of herself in, in social situations, she has just this great spirit about her, just great optimism and a total creativity. And the movie's divided into three sections, which are based on loosely on uh, three autobiographies, three separate autobiographies that Janet Frame wrote. I wish I could write one autobiography, but three autobiographies, pretty interesting. Um, and each of them kind of charted a different path in her life. The movie kind of gets more interesting as it goes along. It is a two hour and 40 minute movie. And I gotta say, I was engrossed. I mean, it is hard for me to sometimes, as we talked about in this podcast, I, I sometimes can't get through 85 minute movies on Netflix, especially ones that are set in one location. But this this movie was completely fascinating. I didn't check my phone once. It, it It's not like the most spe- spectacular movie ever made. It's not like there's murders or, uh, you know, a mystery or anything like that. It's just this really fascinating character who we see evolve and grow up and kind of overcome these obstacles in this patriarchal society. Um, Campion has her kind of, tr- you know, quirky... Um, 
filmmaking uh, attributes, but she's also just a great, you know, at, at building suspense, building character. And uh, I gotta say, I love this movie. I, it, it's a solid three and a half star movie. I still have yet to see Campion's other movie on the Criterion Collection, which is Sweetie, um, which came right before An Angel at My Table, but uh, really solid movie. Not so much uh, interesting stuff on the Criterion version of it, but um, definitely worth checking out if you're a Campion fan, kind of seeing how she evolved as a filmmaker leading up to her Oscar success with uh, the piano. Really good movie. It's also currently on HBO Max. Nice, nice. Either of you I guys ever heard of that? It is very, very good. I, I don't think I've ever not liked a Jane Campion film. And it's cool to see. I know Todd has her predicted as one of the Oscar early Oscar frontrunners for 2022. So it'll be nice to see her get back to work. She hasn't been uh, doing much for the last decade. Yeah, that was my prediction to win Best Picture <coughs> that I wrote in January. But yeah, she has not made a movie since Bright Star, which, yeah, 11, 12 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. Well, cool. All right. So that is our trip into the Criterion Collection, and now my trip into Oscar Past, filling in some gaps of some movies I missed trying to complete uh, all the all the years of Oscar nominees. Uh, last week, I uh, I reviewed a 2001 documentary nomination, and in my random ordering of the movies I'm watching this year, I got another 2001 documentary nominee. Um, which is another one none, none of you have seen because I think the only one any of you have seen from that year was the winner for Best Documentary. So uh, this one is called War Photographer, uh, and it's directed by Christian Frey, and it is about war photographer James Noctway, who's known, uh, kind of renowned as being one of the greatest uh, war photographers of all time. And uh, it is, it's a fascinating watch um, as we see him in these war-torn countries uh, taking photos. It has what has to be like the first GoPro because he's got a little video camera on top of his, um, of his regular camera that is filming everything that he is, that he is shooting. And so you see there are extended shots of just, you see his, um, the, just the top of his camera and his finger on the on the button and you hear him click in pictures and then you get to see the pictures that he took. It's pretty amazing. Um, and uh, and you get to see some of the different um, ways that he gets the shots, how he there were there were some amazing shots where he is like running around with these rebels firing stones out of slingshots at these people shooting at them. And he's right in the middle of them getting the pictures while the cameraman that's filming it is standing like 200 yards away with a zoom lens watching him do all this stuff. It, it was pretty ridiculous what he's willing to do. Um, one of the things that it talks about very early on is uh, what makes James Noctway so different. Um, they said, usually when you see war photographers, there are two different types of war photographers. You see the thrill seekers that just want to get into the middle of it just for the thrill of it. You see the cynics who are trying to show the, uh, the, uh, the horrors of war and the, the, the horrors of humanity. Uh, but James Noctway is there, uh, is almost like a compassionate uh, photographer and wants to tell the stories of the people involved in these conflicts. Um, and, and it shows through his pictures. Uh, 
it's a fascinating documentary. It's very contemplative and meditative, and the the score that goes along with it definitely puts you into that mood. Um, one of the things I will say though that keeps it from being a masterpiece is James Noctway is an incredible bore to listen to. He is one of the most boring people on the planet when it's just him sitting there talking about what he's doing. Um, but watching him do it is amazing. So I'm giving it three and a half stars. Uh, this could have been like one of like the uh, like an amazing great documentary, like masterpiece documentary, if he actually was engaging in any sort of way when you listen to him talk. So uh, three and a half stars. It's available on Canopy right now if anyone wants to check it out. Um, really, really cool uh, documentary and a cool look at something you don't necessarily think of all the time. And that's the people who are out there for uh, taking the photographs that uh, capture the conflicts around the world. That sounds like a good power rankings. Documentaries that would have been good documentaries had the main character been more interesting. <laughs> yes, I, I like this idea. Maybe more of a Mount Rushmore because I don't know if I want to come up with five of those. True. <laughs> all right well uh that's what we watched this week and um now since we talked about oscar's past let's talk about oscar's future we're looking at next week next sunday is the oscars uh so let's talk about what we think is going to happen we are going to go just kind of quick rapid fire through uh through the uh the tech categories and the lower level stuff and then get into um get into our, our usual stuff that we do with the main categories, um, which a lot of it, we, we've always said we've kind of stolen it from, uh, from Siskel and Ebert slash Roper slash whoever else has been on that show. Um, and uh, where they always did, if we pick the winners. And so we've always said we're, we do what, um, what will win, should win and should have been nominated. And I think I kind of want to rebrand it this time and, and say, this is, this is the almost sideways uh, shoulda, coulda, woulda awards, um, and that that I think that's basically what what we're talking about here. What what shoulda won, what could have been in the race, and what will win. So the shoulda, coulda, woulda awards. That's what we're doing here. But first, let's go through all the other categories uh, and see what we think is going to happen. Um, and uh, but and just know. I haven't filled out my ballot yet for the Oscar challenge. So all this might change in the next week, but we'll talk as, as, as of right now, what we think is going to happen. So let's start with uh, best international feature. So uh, nominated for best international feature are another round, better days, collective, Quovada Saida, and the man who sold his skin. Zach, you're first. All right. Well, uh, I have a few websites open. And I'll, I'll kind of update. I have the Vegas Insider website. We can we can get some odds <laughs> going on here. I know Todd appreciates that. Right now, yeah, the odds, open too, actually. <clears throat> right now, the odds are pretty heavy on another round. It's got it minus six seventy. Now, one of the things I love about this Vegas Insider website is that it has the 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 international nominee with the second best odds. Something called Aida Quo Vadis. I love that. So. Uh, I really want to, I think, uh, I was just texting Todd, I think, um, I think Quovas Aida is, is a really interesting uh, a film. I have not seen it yet, but Todd is, is a big fan of it. It just got a release on uh, on Hulu. 
I want to pick it. I like. I, I feel like one thing going against another round is that it's not really about Denmark. I feel like in the international film, they like to have films that are somehow representative of the, of the country that it's from. But in the end, Vinterberg's Best Director nomination, it just, it, I think it makes it pretty clear cut that another round is, is the heavy favorite to win. And so I, I would bet that it will win. Yeah, I'm going to go another round also. Um, I heard something that was really interesting that um, another round, everyone kind of assumed it was the favorite, but in every major award show, it was losing because it was up against Minari. Um, because Minari being a, a non-English speaking uh, movie, and the Oscars are very specific about it being an international production. Um, so, uh, but I think it, I think another round won the BAFTA, which, uh, yeah, which kind of solidified it, it as the, the favorite. And it would be a shock if it was anything, but so, uh, another round for me too. Todd. Yeah. I'll predict another, predict another round as well. The, the problem with Kovada Saida is that, I, I just don't think it's widely distributed yet. And I mean, just came on Hulu last week. So, I mean, it's not like if they had done that maybe a month before, more people would have seen it because it's pretty much unanimous, unanimously appealing. But another round's probably going to win. Yeah. If anything, if anything beats it, it's going to be Kovata Saida. But yeah, like Zach said, the, do- the director nomination, it pretty much locks it up. Okay. Animated feature. Zach. We have a Shaun the Sheep movie, Farmageddon, Onward, Over the Moon, Soul, and Wolfwalkers. Well, I think as we've talked about on this podcast, it feels like it is very much a two-way race between Windwalkers and Soul. Wolfwalkers. Uh, Wolfwalkers. Did I say Windwalkers? Don't speak like that in wine country. <laughs> I want to watch Wolfwalkers, man. How do people watch that? Is it available Apple TV anywhere? Plus. It's on Apple TV Plus lame it's like that boys state movie right you have yeah, to that's on apple tv plus too so no one's seen it so i gotta go soul right <laughs> i mean maybe if people had actually seen this movie with apple tv plus subscriptions like terry apparently has you know it'd be more competitive but you gotta go soul here right yeah it's only five bucks a month it's not that bad but yes uh yeah it's soul it, it i yeah wolf walkers is really the only competition it's got um but uh but yeah, Souls won everything. There was a time where there was a there was a narrative Wolfwalkers could overtake it, but no, it's Soul. Yeah, Soul is a minus five thousand favorite, which is uh, <laughs> as big as I've ever seen for an Oscar ceremony. But the the one thing you got to say is that Onward has been nominated everywhere as well. So I mean, there was obviously an, a lot of fans of that, and the Pixar vote could potentially split in some way. But I just don't think Wolfwalkers is a, is a like uh, I don't think it's widespread enough to to actually win the thing. I think Soul probably still walk it, walk away with it. Those that have seen it love it, but yeah, it's uh, it is a little harder to find or a little harder to see because not everyone has Apple TV Plus yet. Come on, Zach. All right, best documentary feature. We've got Collective, which we ha- I think it's interesting. We have a second straight double dip in documentary and international. Um, collective Crip Camp, My Octopus Teacher, The Mole Agent, and Time. Zach, I knew you've seen several of these. Uh, where are you at with this race? I have seen three of them: uh, Time, Collective, and Crip Camp. <coughs> I don't know what the Mole Agent is, but uh, the best one of the five. <laughs> yeah, of course. I'm going to go with My Octopus Teacher uh, because it is the odds-on favorite to win. 
And uh, I just haven't seen a whole lot of campaigning by these other films. Um, I also, I think they all kind of came out a little too, I mean, Crip Camp and Time came out a little bit early in the Oscar race. My Octopus Teacher seems kind of quirky enough to land in that kind of, you know, sort of like uh, Free Solo did a few years ago, a movie about natural uh, environment, the world around us. I don't know. The other ones just kind of, they, they didn't seem to make an impact the way that they probably should have to really be considered favorites. Yeah, I, I think I'm going up my octopus teacher also. Um, and I've heard a lot of comparisons, like you said, to Free Solo. And not only in, in like subject content, but also in that it's been a very organic um, from the from the fans of the movie Oscar campaign. Like nobody had heard of this movie until everyone started seeing it on Netflix and said, dude, you should check out this movie, My Octopus Teacher. And then all of a sudden it's an Oscar nominee and it's winning everything. So yeah, I'm going My Octopus Teacher. I would say the the uh, dark horse there is Crip Camp because uh, I feel like uh, you can never count out the Obamas. So Yeah, and I think time is interesting. I mean, time made several best best of the year lists. I believe in New York Times top uh, 10 of the year list. In a way, it's a little similar to the documentary from a few years ago, uh, Strong Island, which also was very much about um, uh, pol police incarceration, um, racial tension. Um, but it just didn't, I don't know, it maybe just didn't have either the campaigning or even the critical kind of consensus behind it. Uh, I think, in an, but you know, in another year, it might've performed stronger, but it's a really solid documentary too. All right, Todd, where are you at with this? Uh, well, I've seen all five, and yeah, time is, it doesn't work. Something about it doesn't work. It's really overrated, and I don't know. I mean, it's pro I mean, my activist feature is really appealing, but like I said, the mole agent's the best one, but I think the winner is going to be collective because it, I mean, having that double nomination means something, and uh, I just, I mean, the mole agent also had like it was on the long list or the short list for both categories as well. But Co collective is a very big, expansive movie that is really popular with a lot of people. I'm not the biggest fan of it necessarily, but at the that that's what I, I think I'm going to be predicting. But I honestly, none of these five are in my top five documentaries of last year. So it, this is sort of a weird second tier group of nominees. Yeah, um, I mean. That, that's an interesting point. However, at the same time, the uh, the double nomination didn't mean anything for the uh, for the B movie last year. I forget what it was called. Honeyland. Honeyland. Yeah. Honeyland, yeah. Uh, so, I don't know. I I know. I don't think Honeyland was ever. I mean, I I don't think it ever had the buzz necessarily. Huh, huh, yeah. Of uh, uh, a collective. <laughs> yeah, I get it. So, Todd, what are your top five documentaries of last year? Since you know you you said none of these are in it, uh, I have Belushi, Rewind, Dick Johnson is dead. You cannot kill David Arquette and the Scheme. Crip Camp was in my top ten of last year. I think yeah. that should be the front runner, but I don't know. Maybe the Obamas got busy this uh, this past fall. Maybe preoccupied with something else. The Mole right. is right below the Scheme, so. The what is the, the mole, mole agent. agent would be right below the scheme, and then and then is it Boy State? Oh, let's see. Because I think I think you you had it. I, I remember talking to you after you saw Boy State, and it was in there somewhere. Yeah. I feel like if Boy State had been nominated, that could have really shaken up that category. Totally, totally. 
Yeah, Boy State is like, yeah, it, that is one spot on my overall list below the mole agent. Okay. So, yeah, right there. All right. Next, we've got uh, visual effects. Uh, the nominees are Love and Monsters, Mulan, Tenet, The Midnight Sky, and the one and only Ivan. Zach? Oh, we got to go Tenet here. Tenet's minus 560, one of the heavier favorites. It's got to win something, right? Versus these other movies that, I mean, we I had not seen any of these movies until we saw Love and Monsters. I think uh, in, in this category, you got to go the movie that the most people have seen, which is Tenet. I honestly don't know if that's true, though. If that's I don't think that that's true at seen. all. <laughs> um, really? I mean, Tenet is might, might be the most known one, but you've got I You've got Mulan two Disney Plus movies. Most, yeah, yeah. the most seen movie of this group. You've got a Netflix movie in Midnight Sky. I, but I will say, I think Tenet's taken it as well. And if anything is going to take it down, I think it's the Midnight Sky. Because, I mean, visual effects in space are always great. Yeah, same. I mean, I uh, Bovada only has Tenet as minus 350 favorite. So, I mean, that's a significant difference from, between what Zach Scott listed. But... The Midnight Sky is the only one that's remotely close to that. I, I guess I would go, I still would go with Tenet. I, I, I mean, I know at one point I said I thought it probably would have been Best Picture if it got good reviews, and it didn't necessarily get good reviews. So Best Visual Effects will work. Thank you, Christopher Nolan. All right. Best Original Song. We have Husavik from Eurovision Song Contest, The Story of Fire Saga. Fight for You from Judas and the Black Messiah. Speak Now from One Night in Miami. Scene from the life ahead and hear my voice from the trial of Chicago seven. Zach. I think we got to go speak now in one night in Miami. I mean, it's like I said, it's the one that kind of stands out. It's the one that I, I actually kind of am familiar with. Most notoriety. I mean, we got to go, we got to go Leslie Odom jr. Right. If he's not going to, if he's not going to win Best Supporting Actor, he's got to win something, right? Like George Clooney said, I guess I'm not winning director. Well, win Best Song. <laughs> well, Diane Warren's never won in like 15 nominations. Yeah, so. Diane Warren's never won. Um, and uh, the double nomination, I mean, Mary J. Blige didn't win anything for the double nomination for Mudbound either. So it wouldn't be unprecedented if, if he didn't win. Uh, I mean... I think I think there's there's three move or three of these songs that could win. Um, Speak now makes the most sense to win. Um, I could see them finally want to give Diane Warren an Oscar, but for some reason I'm also hearing Husevik is very very popular, which is crazy. That's a great um, song. Yeah, it's I haven't seen the movie song. yet. I haven't seen the movie yet, so I need to watch the movie. Uh, I'm get. I'll go one night in Miami. Also, I'll go speak now. Um, I think they're they're eager to to reward Leslie Odom Jr. not just for one night in Miami, but also for for Hamilton and how Hamilton like saved everybody's summer being on Disney Plus. So um, I'm go. I'll go. Uh, I'll go speak now. But I'm nowhere near confident. That's the least confident I've been so far. Yeah, I don't. My my temptation is to go with uh, the life ahead, even though it's a lousy movie. It won the Golden Globe song, and I I just don't feel any enthusiasm for One Night in Miami. I mean, obviously Leslie Gomez Jr. is super popular, but I don't know that they give her in the song award just because he's popular. I'm, I guess it worked for Lady Gaga, but that doesn't always work. She lost her first song nomination. I, I I'll, I'm going with the life ahead. I feel pretty confident 
about this one. Of the technical awards, this would be in my top three or four that I feel... Con I would be shocked if something else won. Those song those other songs don't... I, I, I mean, you're talking about movies that don't have a whole lot of Oscar appeal. And so when push comes to shove, you got to get this, the movie that has the most visibility, but maybe was snubbed for Best Picture, right? Well, I, mean, me it wasn't I, a good I movie. don't know. Well, song, is, song is weird, though. Song is always weird. And if you're that confident, then it's only a minus 180 to bet on it. I mean, you should hop on that if you're. Oh, I would. I, absolutely. I would put a, yeah, a heavy change on that. <laughs> heavy change. Okay. Heavy change. Heavy change. 60 pennies. That's heavy. Okay. Moving on. Original score. We've got The Five Bloods, Mank, Minari, News of the World, and Soul. Zach. I mean, I, we have to go Soul here with Todd's favorite musicians. However, I do think I would not be shocked if Minari won because Minari's score, as we've talked about, is so strange and unique and memorable, for better or for worse, that the Academy voters will be humming it in their head. But you have to go Soul. Yeah, I'm going Soul. That's all I got. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you got to go Soul, but I mean, they were nominated twice. Sometimes that. That can hurt your chances, but I mean, Soul just has won every single award it can win. So, yep. All right. Makeup and hairstyling. We have Emma, Hillbilly Elegy, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, and Pinocchio. Zach. Ooh, this is a tough one. Why do you, Why do you always start with me? Let's Let's go someone else first. All right, I'll go first. I I think it's this... gonna be Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I I think the yeah the the makeup that um. Uh, that Viola Davis has in there. I mean, it completely transforms her. Yeah, I, I think I think that's that's a that's where I'm going. Todd, how about you? Well, it has uh, dominated the precursors, but the the thing with makeup and hairstyling is that they don't really care about hairstyling, and I feel like that's more <laughs> Ma Rainey than than in uh, than in the makeup necessarily. They love prosthetics, which would bring Pinocchio into the mix, but. I mean, it's hard to deny the fact that Ma Rainey's Black Bottom really hasn't lost one of these yet, so I guess I'd go with that, too. Yeah, and, you know, I, I just think that that image from the movie of Viola Davis all decked out, that's one of the, the most memorable images from that movie. So I think, I think I'll, I'll be in agreement with, with both of you. So you just don't want to make a decision and just go with what we said. I, I get it now. Exactly, yeah. Well, that, yeah. I, I don't know. The opposite of his review strategy. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Best sound. Uh, we have uh, the other Apple TV Plus movie, Greyhound. Uh, Mank, News of the World, another Tom Hanks movie. Uh, Soul and Sound of Metal. It's Sound of Metal. Todd? Yeah, it's Sound of Metal. Well, what's interesting is it lost like the, the, the sound editing guild like yesterday to yeah. uh, I forgot. I think it was Tenet, but it's still, I, I, I can't imagine it not winning this one. Yeah, I heard someone say that uh, that all that showed was that if this was still a split category, it probably would have been split winners. Or could have been split winners. Could have been. Yeah, it's got to be Sound of Metal. And uh, you look at the odds on Vegas Insider, it is minus 2,000. It would be one of the bigger upsets, possibly in Oscar history, for anything else to win. Yep. Now, yeah. Yeah, but with a split, with a split, maybe it's a little different. But yeah, we have no precedent for how they're going to vote on this. We don't know if they're going to go with more 
action-y type stuff or they're going to go with the more uh, mixing music in there with uh, dialogue and whatnot. I mean, but see, you got to remember that most of the, uh, the Oscar voters, the voting block, are all idiots. They don't understand sound design. They don't know anything about yeah. sound mixing. It's like Bohemian Rhapsody won sound Exactly. Mixing. So you have a movie that where sound plays a prominent role in the narrative. It's like, oh, well, the sound was great in that movie, which in this case, it actually was really cool. But it's like, they don't know anything about sound mixing or Foley or anything like that. So you just give it the most, you know, the, 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 the most obvious for the film. Yeah, give it oh, to the one with sound in the title. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Best costume design. We have Emma, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, Mulan, and Pinocchio. Todd, you're first on this one. Well, uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom seems to be the favorite. I still tend to go with more obvious period drama um, stuff. So I'm, I'm saying Emma... It just says the most biggest extravagant costumes like Maureen's Black Bottom is more like cool looking costumes, which I, I don't think necessarily translate to wins necessarily. It does dom to nominations, but Maureen's Black Bottom has kind of dominated the guilds. Back. Yeah, this is one of the tougher ones, according to uh, Vegas Insider. Ma Rainey is the favorite at minus 150, but I'm going to agree with Todd. I feel like Emma, you, you think period piece, you think grand spectacle. Ma Rainey is a much more concentrated, more uh, you know, um, intimate sort of film. Um, so, uh, yeah, I'm going to go Emma on this with the slight upset. I'm going to go Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. I'm, uh, I'm predicting a big, like overreaction to the fact that it was snubbed for best picture and it's gonna like clean house at a lot of the in a lot of the nominations it got i don't and think anyone has that narrative that it was snubbed for best picture it was never going to be nominated for best picture i mean no i don't oh, think yes, it, it was i don't think any name one prediction site that had ma rainey being nominated all of them all Except of them for me I, and I when i just put it in there you guys give me shit about it <laughs> i didn't give you shit i wasn't even on that episode I didn't think it was going to get nominated. It it's it's not good enough. It's it's not a great movie. I, I mean, agree. It's, it's not good about. enough to be in there, but I think everyone thought it was going to be in there. But and, one thing we should have known no over overcorrection. I mean, was that George C. Wolf was never mentioned in a single race for best director, and that that shows that it would never had appeal of like really in best picture kind of thing. But it was nominated at the Golden Globes and stuff. I, I still don't understand that, but I mean, I just I think, there's. There's not this big movement. It's not like 2012 with Argo, you know, Ben Affleck not getting nominated. It's not like there's this big outpouring of support for this so-called snub. I don't think anyone really is up that upset that it wasn't nominated. I think Ma Rainey's Black Bottom has a really good chance of being the uh, of getting the most Oscars on the night and not being a best, best picture nominee, which That's... I don't think has ever happened since the field expanded. That would be an interesting uh, wager to make. That's my bold prediction. I'm trying to think if that if that is. What about happening. that the the Born Ultimatum? Didn't that get like or or well, um, it had no, that was back when there were still five. Since so I'm saying since 2009, when when the field went up from five. Yeah, yeah, there were a co couple of those years where there weren't very many wins. And obviously, some... Mad Max was a Best Picture nominee, but that had the most mm -hmm. wins that year. So. I was thinking maybe Dragon Tattoo, but that might have only won editing. I can't remember. That had a bunch of nominations, but yeah. uh, I think it might have only won one. All right. Well, let's move on. Production design. 
Uh, we have uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, Mank, News of the World, Tenet, and The Father. Todd. It's Mank. Like, there's there's no competition, really. It's Mank. Yeah, if you're the best, if you get the most nominations, you have to win something, right? They don't want the color purple again, all over again, right? So it has to win something, especially as high profile a movie as that is. And, you know, people are stupid. The voters are stupid. They think, oh, look at that cool house in black and white. That looks like that looks like Xanadu. I'm going to give it best production design. So Zach's whole whole philosophy here is, what would a stupid person think? Exactly. And I'm predict that. Yes. <laughs> Tell me that's a bad philosophy every year. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm going Mink as well. Except for one parasite won this picture. That's well, true. that's true. That's true. Yeah. Well, that, I'm talking more technical categories. Technical categories, people are a little stupid because most of them are not practitioners. They, they don't understand what goes into production design. Most people don't know what sound editing versus sound mixing is or the difference. So. That's why they combine into one category, which is kind of stupid because they're completely different things. All right, I'm going Mank. Moving on. Best editing. Uh, we've got Trial of the Chicago 7, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, Sound of Metal, and The Father. Zach, we're back to you. Okay, now this is an interesting category. Yes, I, it is. This one, and as we've talked about before in other years, editing sometimes can really be a precursor to best picture. I'm going Trial of Chicago 7. It just beat out Sound of Metal at one of those awards. Was it the BAFTAs? No, uh, or the, is the Eddie, Ace Eddie editing okay. awards. Yeah. Um, it's kind of a similar reason that uh, I went Mank for production design. I feel like Trial of Chicago 7 is not going to win a whole lot of awards. But over the last few years, the Oscars have really gotten in this philosophy of we're just going to spread the wealth. Gone are the days of Lord of the Rings winning 11 Oscars. So you got to give something to these films, particularly the ones that got nominated for Best Picture. And, uh, you know, I feel like there's probably a swell of support for this movie, but not necessarily for it to win best picture so i think we gotta go trial chicago seven here i like that narrative i'm gonna go sound of metal uh i think that's one that has definitely been uh been up there as well and uh and i think for whatever reason sound and editing seem to be tied together this year um and and it's it's superb sound it is. It, it is but it's superb sound is kind of making it a a player in the editing race and i'm gonna say it drags it along with how much of a of a favorite it is in in sound so i'm going sound of metal i wonder what the odds would be for sound of metal to be the film with the most awards at the end of the night that's got to be like ten thousand one, right uh yeah but considering 10, it's well, gonna no, max out it had that distinction remember and that you would have thought at the beginning of the night that was kind of that would have been an insane thought but i don't know okay sound of metal is not a traditional editing winner. It is not quick cutting or anything. And it won the BAFTA, which always goes with like fast car movies or something like that stuff, stuff that's like really obviously edited. And that's what Trial of Chicago 7 is. And Sound of Metal beat it there. There's obviously an appeal of that movie that is sort of like almost unspoken because nobody really understands it. Although other than us, we all love the movie, but there's a lot of people that aren't really crazy about the movie, but it's still like dominating this category a lot of the time. I. It's the closest of the technical races, and I, I don't know really which one to choose. I probably would lean with the favorite sound of metal, but Trials of Chicago 7 would be the easier winner, but I just can't see it being... That's probably going to be its only win if it wins, and I, I can't really see that. 
Yeah, there is a tendency for best editing to go to most editing, and that would be Trial of Chicago 7. Um, however, I also, uh, on another note, I could see them wanting to give Chloe Zhao as much as possible, and she edited No Man Land, and I could see them giving her a That would be Oscar the most out-there editing winner ever. That, that, yeah. there's, no, there, there's no real like art to what the, the, the editing... I mean, there is, but it's not obvious. Right, right. It, it's much more kind of more long, uh, long, prolonged takes and and scenery and things like that. But it, it would be a weird one. But if they wanna, if they wanna honor Chloe Zhao, like it feels like they're going to do, give her four awards. They didn't even do that with the Coens. I know the Cohen, They lost in this category. All right. Okay. Next one. Cinematography. We have Judas and the Black Messiah, Mank, News of the World, Nomadland, and The Trial of Chicago 7. Zach? Well, this one's obvious. It's going to be Nomadland. But if you had told me that back in October that it was going to be this clear and Mank was not going to be the clear favorite, I would have been really surprised. I thought Mank was going to be a shoe in for cinematography. But I think as the award season has emerged and as Nomadland has kind of surpassed Mank in virtually every aspect, um, I think this is a pretty much a no-brainer. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna say Nomadland, and I'm gonna say like anytime Chloe Zhao makes a movie from now on, it has a chance to be nominated in Best Cinematography. Like next year, we're gonna be talking about The Eternals nominated for Best Cinematography. So, yeah, that'd be the first superhero movie nominated for cinematography. Uh, <laughs> I mean, which Joker was, it was probably, it, right? Oh, possibly, but it would be the first one not uh, directed by Chloe Zhao. So that would, that would make sense. Todd. Yeah, it's gonna be Nomadland. I, it, it's one of the bigger slam dunks. I can't on. I, it's on is only a minus six hundred favorite, which is kind of crazy to me. I feel like that should be more like minus two thousand. Uh, my money is also on Joshua James Richards to give the weirdest acceptance speech. <laughs> Something weird's going to happen there. Maybe it's not even his fault. Maybe it's a technical mishap. But I'm 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 not seeing smoothness there. All right, all right. Well, that gets us through the text. That gets us through uh, the the lower level stuff. So now, let's get into our shoulda, coulda, wouldas. Uh, starting with adapted screenplay. Uh, so the nominees for adapted screenplay are Borat subsequent movie film, delivery of prodigious bride to America regime uh, for make benefit once glorious nation of Kazakhstan. I read the whole title just simply because Todd hates it when I do that. Well, or when yeah, anybody does it. I definitely don't read the, uh, the writers. Yeah. Uh, and Nomadland, One Night Miami, The Father, and The White Tiger. So, uh, we're going to start with what should win and go around. So, I'm going to go, I'm going to start with this one. I think what should win is The Father. I think The Father is a brilliant script. Uh, it is uh, potentially the most, um, the, the best use of adaption because I, this was adapted from a play but i from what i've heard it is nothing like the play and it turned it into a a movie that doesn't feel like a play uh which some of these other ones may not have done um especially in a year where there was a lot of play adaptations uh it, it's a it's a brilliant story it's a brilliant script and uh it's a brilliant film so my should win is the father todd how about you yeah i'm in agreement the father should easily win this uh it's, yeah, I, it, it, it is, it, it takes, 
what you love about play adaptations and makes it something completely different. It's unlike any play adaptation I've ever seen, and it's it's a it's a beautiful screenplay, and it should it should easily win. Zach, I don't know if I'd say easily win, but I'm in agreement there for all the reasons that you guys mentioned. Um, it's not like necessarily the most like memorable dialogue erudite type movie. It's actually I think it's probably more impressive as a screenplay in terms of the margins, like the um, you know, what, what it says in the italics, like telling that where the actors should be and what the kind of scenery is. Um, so in that way, it's not flashy and that's why I'm not going to predict it to be the winner, but I think it's the most impressive adapted screenplay of any movie in 2020. All right. So what could have been nominated? That's next. What could have been nominated in adapted screenplay? I thought this one was kind of a tough one to come up with. Um, cause I wasn't, really impressed by too many adapted screenplays. I mean, unless I'm going to say Hamilton, which, I mean, you don't really think that's an adapted anything because it was just recording what they did on stage. Um, so this but, is coming up with something that we thought had a legitimate chance being nominated, but didn't, or is it our favorite that wasn't nominated? What, what I'm, I'm thinking it more as what, what we think should have been in the, in the, in the five. So your favorite, in the category that was not nominated. Isn't that what we normally do? I it's feel sort like of a hybrid, I feel like. I don't know. Okay. It may be, it may be somewhere in between. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Greyhound as it could have been nominated. I think it's uh it's an interesting script. It is um it tells a war story in a way that very few have done in a long time where it just jumps right in. It goes right into the action. It's an hour and a half. It's quick. It's easy. Um, and uh, doesn't spend too much time worrying about backstories or anything like that. Um, it's a quick, tight, great adaptation of a, of a war, of a war novel. So I'm going Greyhound could have been nominated here. Yes. It's a, it's an old fashioned war movie and you don't get more old fashioned than written by Tom Hanks. So, it's yeah. true. It's true. That is why. Yeah. Todd, how about you? Uh, I had two written down. One was uh, by Oscar winner Charlie Kaufman. So I'm thinking of any things. I that got really just overlooked throughout the all of award season. And the other one is Calm with Horses, the uh, British movie that I think is it was uh, ended up being around like number twelve or thirteen of of 2020 for me. Like it was a just a really great dark disturbing drama that I, I i really loved and it was i mean it got nominated for a bunch of baftas but nothing translated to the oscars zach yeah um i didn't really have anything that had a serious chance i mean i'm looking at my list right now i thought the boys in the band was really well well written that never had a shot but it was like a pretty good adapted screenplay for the most part yeah are we saying that palm springs was not adapted from groundhog day because if that's yeah. the case, then I guess I can't say Palm Springs. But hey, I would like some nomination for Palm Springs. So throw it in as adapted. Um, yeah, I know I know another one that a lot of people were hoping could somehow crack the party was First Cow. Um, that was one a lot of people liked. That was adapted? That was adapted. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay, well, then that would be my vote. There we go. There we go. I mean, that was my number three movie of the year, so... Well there, well, there we go. Of course, Blue Story adapted from a YouTube series. That would be the number one choice, but that obviously had zero chance. Sure, sure. Okay, well, now 
uh, what will win. And I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb here. I'm gonna say an upset. I'm gonna say the father wins adapted screenplay. It seems to be surging right now. It's it's on won the on the right trajectory. It won the BAFTA. Uh, and Nomadland, its strength isn't its script. I mean that that would be really weird to see that movie win for script because I feel like none of it really feels that scripted. But yeah, Todd. Uh, I mean, I, I think it's probably going to end up being Nomadland, but the the reason being is the the Oscars they hate play adaptations. I've been saying that all year, and but all and even this whole category all year was littered with play adaptations, you know. Uh, and uh, that's why One Night in Miami has no shot. That's why Marines Black Bottom wasn't nominated, and The Father I think will eventually lose just because of that fact. So I, I guess Nomadland's the only one that really has a chance. Other than, I mean, Borat won the Writers Guild, but that was because no, the Nomadland and the Father were not in the category. So, I guess I'll say Nomadland. Zach? Yeah, it's it's certainly one of those two. Um, do I have a coin around here? I feel like I should just flip a coin. <laughs> Let's go with... Why the hell not? We'll go with the Father. I think Terry's right. I think Momentum... There's something to be said for momentum, and there's also something to be said for a movie that seems largely unscripted. So I'll go with the father. And Florian Zeller has been doing a lot of like stuff. Like he has been on like tons of podcasts that I've listened to. Like he, he's doing the thing, and Chloe Zhao is not. <laughs> so I mean, well, that could end up being a, being a, a, a like in a in a year where they can't actually go meet the the people who are voting and stuff like that. They can't go to parties and stuff. Being on podcasts and stuff is a big deal. Well, and it was fascinating um, to, uh, gosh, I completely forgot what was fascinating. I had something and it's gone. <laughs> wow. The fact that the White Tiger was nominated? Well, that that is fascinating. That is fascinating. The White gosh. Tiger is currently listed as uh, plus 2,500. I have it at plus 4,000. Yeah, I was going to say, but it should, it should probably be more like 40,000. 401 well yeah, i mean i guess so no one's betting that anyway unless it's a short category the, the number five choice never wins other than i remember what i was gonna say i remember well, what i was gonna say okay so maybe maybe we should just <laughs> talk about for a second the golden globes were batshit crazy okay i mean there were a lot of upsets <laughs> are we just kind of thinking that that could happen here or are we gonna go chalk i mean i guess we'll see with what you guys pick but like I feel like I'm a little traumatized after the Golden Globes, after seeing Jodie Foster win and thank Aaron Rodgers, and then seeing like all that other crazy shit happen. Like I feel like COVID makes things unpredictable, and that's what the producers want. That's really the only thing they can sell this on anymore. I think if the Oscars were at their normal time, then they would be very unpredictable. But I think at this point, it it's kind of settled itself down. Let's just award the stuff that we know should be awarded and move on. Anyways, what I was going to say was that um, it's fascinating how everyone leading into this race was criticizing the father for screwing up their campaign. Um, when no one realized how this campaign was going to work. And here we are getting to, you know, mid to late April when we're actually going to have the Oscars. And what's surging right now? The father, because it waited and it waited and it waited. And got itself out just in time to get considered for nominations. And now that everyone's voting for it, everyone's talking about the father. And that's and no seen on the big screen too. And, but the thing is, it still isn't streaming. So that 
it still is weird in that way. Like, No Man's Land at least had that. Like, at least eventually went to streaming. I, th- I think you can stream it. It's available for rental to stream now. Right. But it's, uh, it, it feels like the one movie in this whole race, everyone criticized it at first, but now I think it's the one movie that actually understood what the, what the expanded window through the end of February was going to do. And everyone else was like, no, we still got to get it out at the end of December. We still got to get it out at the end of December. The father's like, no, 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 no. We just need to be, be, uh, around in time for the end of February and be, uh, have everyone talking about us through March and April, which is exactly what it did. All right. Well, let's move on to original screenplay. Now original screenplay. We have Judas and the black Messiah, Minari promising young woman, the sound of metal. No, just sound of metal. Not the, there's no the in front of it and the trial of the Chicago seven. Uh, let's see here. Todd, you're first on this one for what should win. For what should win? I think Minari should win. Ooh, because okay. I mean, I think it, I I don't see Sound of Metal as necessarily being the screenplay as what as what highlights it. Minari is something that that like I watched and it got inside me immediately. It is something that has has seems like normal beats, but it does it in a different way, and it and it becomes something completely different than you would have thought when you were started watching it. And I, I loved Minari, and I think that is the the best screenplay achievement in this category. Wow. Okay. Zach, what should win? Uh, the Sound of Metal. The Sound of Metal. No, Sound of Metal. <laughs> I think Todd might have said earlier The Nomadland, so I, mm. I think it's okay to say The Sound of Metal. <laughs> or like The Promising Young Woman, too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the Indiana. <laughs> In the Annapolis. Okay. Um, do you have anything else or just say, just sound of metal? That's oh, it. yeah. That's, yep. Yeah, I mean, we all, this was, it was the number one uh, ranked movie on our podcast. So need I say more? Well, for what should win, I'm going to go with my number one movie of the year. And that was Promising Young Woman. Uh, I think it, it is uh, it's a, a certainly an achievement in how it weaved this crazy story together and and made it disturbing yet still incredibly entertaining and fun uh, throughout this this uh, just this girl's journey. So uh, I'm going to say what should win is Promising Young Woman. Todd, what could have been nominated? Uh, well, the ones I wrote down were, of course, Palm Springs, which was nominated at the Writers Guild and failed to get the Oscar nomination. I also have The King of Staten Island, one of the best movies of the year, and as well as A Son, which I also think is one of the very best movies of the year and got really no love. But everyone still thought it could get an international feature nomination and it still it never showed up anywhere, which is really unfortunate. So, so you, you, you couldn't pick just one, so you decided just to take a whole other category worth? That was three. But yeah. Oh, it was three. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> when am I supposed to say just one? That's the idea, and then you okay. could like, throw some others out once everybody else has said things. But... Oh. Well, you guys weren't going to say those, I don't think. That's true. Or at least you were going to say, maybe Palm Springs. <laughs> Zach, what could have been nominated? Uh, my number one movie of the year, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always, should have been nominated. Ah. I'm in 100% agreement with Todd that a son should have been nominated as well. That was a brilliant screenplay. 
And, um, you know, Oscar winner Kevin Wilmot, friend of the podcast, had a film out there this year called The 24th that also could have gotten the best original screenplay nomination. Maybe should have, but, you know, he only he can only win so many Oscars. What about Strummer? Oh, well, yeah, and of course, Strummer. Oh, yeah. Strummer! Absolutely, yeah. Although it might be ad- adapted, I'm not sure. I wonder, though, if it probably takes more than eight people to see it. Uh, all right, so my what could have been nominated is a film that uh, when it came out, everybody was like, this this could be a player in the Oscars, and it ended up being nothing, but I really loved it, and I thought it could have easily showed up somewhere like here. That's Malcolm and Marie. Um, I, I thought I really enjoyed that movie. I thought it was a fascinating script, uh, a fascinating um, dialogue between these two people for an hour and a half. And uh, and why didn't it show up anywhere at all? I, I think I think it could have it could have easily gotten in here. One of the 2021 films that could have uh, cracked the party in uh, in original screenplay. I can tell you why it's not there, but. We've you know, had yeah, that conversation. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I know I like it more than any of you guys. So, um, what will win, Todd? Uh, so this category is another kind of tough one to call. So, Promising Young Woman has the right wins, uh, but Trials Chicago Seven won the Best Screenplay Award at uh, at the Golden Globes. But this category is weird sometimes. Sometimes they don't they don't like the cool, flashy movie to win. Like they don't that like when Inglorious Bastards is up, it was it should have won, but no, it went to the Hurt Locker, which isn't really a screenplay achievement. Or well, like In Bruges was supposed to win, and then no, it ended up going to Milk, which isn't really a screenplay achievement. But uh, pro- but the thing is, like Charles Chicago Seven is also a really flashy screenplay of the Aaron Sorkin. But I still think Promising Young Woman is this is probably its best chance to win something. And I think that there isn't a passion behind that movie that is probably going to walk away with this. This would be like get out winning best screenplay. It's gonna win if it's gonna win something, it'll be here. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, I'm I'm predicting Promising Young Woman for basically the exact same reasons that Todd laid out. The Academy everybody to get a goodie bag at the, by the end of the ceremony and uh this is probably the best shot maybe for a promising young woman it's just got the right buzz going i don't know if you guys saw the anonymous oscar voter and the hollywood reporter talking about uh their ballot but they the only film of the of the nom of the best picture nominees was promising young woman and uh i feel like that's gonna rub off in in this category yeah i'm going promising young woman also i, I think that's uh that's a safe bet at this point, but I could easily see there's a couple others that could easily pop up and steal this from, from them, either whether it's Minari or Trial of Chicago 7. See, I last mean, year, I don't think anybody was really predicting Parasite. That would be like the Minari in this situation where, like, last year, I mean, it was probably going to be Once Upon a Time in Hollywood or something. And then if there's a wave of support for one movie that's not really in the, in the like, top two or three contenders, I don't know. Could be interesting. All right. Best Supporting Actress. We have nominated Amanda Seyfried for Mank, Glenn Close for Hillbilly Elegy, Maria Bakalova for Borat's subsequent movie film and all the other stuff, uh, Olivia Coleman for The Father, and Yu Yu Zhong for Minari. Todd, no, Zach, you're first on this one. Who should win? Who should win? Um, 
Hmm. I would go Olivia Coleman in The Father. I think she's devastating in that movie. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. I'm going Olivia Coleman as well. Um, this is a really weird category, and it's a weird list of people. Um, because you've got Yoon Yoo Jung, who's in there, kind of, I, I, I said it before, it, it, he's, she's the Alan Arkin of this, uh, of this category. And I don't feel like it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of the flashy role of the movie, but I don't necessarily see it as something that deserves to win. You've got Glenn Close, who, I mean, actually gives a great performance, uh, but it's in a movie everybody hates. Uh, I don't really even know why. I think people just hate it because they were told they need to hate it. Um, Amanda Seyfried, who I still do not understand why she's in this race for for just simply being the pretty face in the technical achievement film. And you have Maria Bakalova, who no one understands why she's still around in this, other than the fact that she was able to to hang in there blow for blow in uh, with uh, Sasha Baron Cohen for an entire film. So, uh, yeah, I'm going Olivia Coleman. It's the only one that feels like a real, like, like her and Glenn Close feel like the only real like Oscar performances in this category. It's 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 weird. So I'm going Olivia Coleman. Todd. Well, who should be winning is Viola Davis from Marini's Black Bottom, but she's in the wrong category. <laughs> uh, of these five, it's it's complicated. I I mean I don't think Glenn Close should really be winning. Marini Bakalova is in an awful movie, and Yu Yu Jung and Olivia Coleman were both not the best supporting actress in their own movies. So I guess I have to go with Amanda Seyfried in Mank. I think she was uh, really, I, I think she's great in that movie. She really uh, becomes like a, an old movie star. Like she has that old uh, sensibility about her. And I, I think that she really benefited from uh, having a, a tremendous director, obviously. And it's, I mean, it's not a great category <laughs> necessarily, but I, I guess I would default to Amanda Seyfried. I mean, she's fine, but I just don't feel like there's anything that impressive about what she does. She's just there. Well, and this is why Jodie Foster won at the Golden Globes. I don't think any of these performances are that overwhelming or, uh, you know, memorable. Yeah. Yes, once again, none of these are in my top five sporting actresses of the year. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get into that. Zach, who could have been nominated? Um, I would go Talia Ryder from my number one movie of the year, Never Rarely, Sometimes Always. That's a good one. That's a that's a good call. That's a good call. Uh, I'm gonna go a little a little off here. I, this is one that I think um, back at the beginning of the year, you know, when people were still going to the movies and and everything wasn't shut down, uh, an early an early one that people were saying this might be one that might be able to hang around and then never heard from again. That was Miranda Hart for Emma. Um, uh, she was great in Emma as Miss Bates. Uh, she had a, a great part and it just owned the screen every time she was on it. And so I think that would have been a great one to have around in, uh, in this conversation. Uh, I mean, I, I, had, I mean, Talia Ryder would be my top contender as well. I also had, uh, I think Helena Zangle kind of got, uh, ended up getting shafted after getting the Golden Globe nomination and the SAG nomination. I think she was pretty amazing in uh, News of the World. And one a movie that I don't even like from the White Tiger, Priyanka Chopra. 
I, I don't know why she never really got singled out anywhere, but she was the best part of that movie. All right. Zach, who will win? Uh, it's going to go to Yoon Jung um, because she's been giving great acceptance speeches. America's falling <laughs> in love with her. The Oscars want to apologize a little bit for their mini controversy last year by not nominating any Korean actors from Parasite. And uh, it's the narrative that everybody likes. Everybody likes the grandma. Minari is a Best Picture nominee. This is probably the best shot it has to win any award. I think you got to get this is sort of a slam dunk at this point. I was not expecting it to. I think a couple couple months ago or, or even when the nominations came out, I think it was a fairly wide open category. But I think Yoon Yoo Jung has uh, solidified herself as a front runner. Yeah, when the nominations came out, I mean, there were there were six like that with Jodie Foster and the Mauritanian being the other one that could have ended up here. And you really didn't know which of the six was going to get snubbed. And uh, and so it was. It was very easily that Yoon Yoo Jung could have ended up outside on the outside looking in. But since she's in since then, she's been taking everything. So uh, so she is my pick for who will win, too. All right. Well, Todd. I mean, I don't necessarily. Th- I mean, she hasn't won everything. Uh, Maria Bakalova won at the Critics' Choice. And at, yeah, at the Golden Globes, Maria Bakalova was in the wrong category. So she didn't win there. But I don't think any of these five were locked in when the nominations came out. I think any of them could have gotten snubbed. But Yu Yu Zhang has had the two biggest ones that she needs. She the BAFTA and the SAG. I think she is the front runner to win, and I guess I would predict her. But I, I I'm still kind of skeptical about this category. And wouldn't it be crazy if Maria Bakalova won for that? I mean, not not regardless of what you think of the movie, because I know you didn't like it, but just a performance like that. I mean, that would be the, like the most outside the box. Well, yeah, a sketch Acting comedy performance and and at the Oscars would be absurd. But I mean, it's it's really possible. They obviously love the movie. Producers Guild nomination. It got the screenplay nomination at the Oscars. Like they people loved Borat. So, so to, apparently, t- Tony Scott, number one movie of the year. But you know, had this been see what what's an interesting question is had the Oscars been in February like normal. I feel like Maria Bakalova really could have had a shot because that's when Borat was still in kind of everybody's vernacular. Everybody was talking about it. Maria Bakalova pretty much stars. Well, yeah, but everybody shit on that movie. I feel like that it's it's just shifted. It's just that the the nature of the fact that this is so late in the year that um, the race has just defaulted to the flavor of the month, and right now it's Union June. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, moving on from that, supporting actor. We have Daniel Kaluuya for Judas and the Black Messiah. We have Lakeith Stanfield, for some reason, also for Judas and the Black Messiah. Uh, Leslie Odom Jr. for One Night in Miami. Paul Racy, Sound of Metal. And Sasha Baron Cohen, The Trial of the Chicago 7. Okay, Zach. Oh, wait, no, did you start the last one? I think you started the last one, didn't you? Yeah, you did. So I'll start this one. Who should win? I am going to go with Paul Racy. Paul Racy, I think I think as soon as we all saw Sound of Metal, one of the things that all of us said was my word, Riz Ahmed, but my word, Paul Racy. My man, Paul Racy. And which yeah, also Olivia reminds Cook. me why why didn't yeah, we could have easily said Olivia Cook in the last category too and we and we left her out. She could have she should have been in the supporting actress conversation too. But um, 
I, I feel like I've never seen an Oscar nomination in an acting category quite like this, where the fans of the movie like willed it into existence. Like there was no way Paul Racy was going to be a part of this conversation ever. And then the the fans loved this movie and loved this movie and loved his performance until he won like every critics thing. And then all of a sudden he showed up on a, on nomination morning. It was awesome. And so Paul Racy needs to win. Just just complete the whole thing. Todd, how about you? Yeah, complete agreement here. I mean, Paul Racy gave basically what we said is the best performance of the year by anybody. And yeah, a 72-year-old person that nobody knows getting nominated for an Oscar is something else. Like this isn't June Squibb. Like she had been no- nominated several other places. Like this is a this is a like uh, these kind of nominations don't ever happen. And I, I love that it that he's actually here. So yeah, Paul Racy for sure. Zach. Yeah, Paul Racy in the movie that we love the most. You know, it's strange because The Sound of Metal obviously has supporters at the Oscars, but you wouldn't know it with all the backlash it's gotten. I mean, there are people that really hate this movie, like on certain other podcasts that just trash it routinely and talk about how great Mank is. And those people are just stupid and we don't listen to them. But the truth is, it got several nominations. So there's some love for it in the, the Academy. I'd like to believe that Paul Racy has a shot at this. If, if, if he got this nomination out of the blue, like that's not insignificant, right? Yeah, I, I agree. I think I think the nomination is the reward here for him, but yeah, he, it's uh, it's definitely See, this is a yeah. movie that it's like the new Academy is voting for this kind of movie. Like this is the kind of movie, the, the kind of voters that were voting for like Ex Machina, and the kind of voters that were voting for like Nightcrawler. I feel like Sound of Metal is that is the next in line of that, but those voters are more significant now, and now that's getting Best Picture nominations and more love than they would have before. Like, this would have never been nominated, like, 10 years ago. Yeah, and I I also feel that a lot of people haven't seen Sound of Metal. Like, of the eight nominees, I would I would assume that's probably the least seen. Um, and people have their opinions made up before they've actually watched it. So, that's why it probably doesn't have a real shot of winning anything significant outside of the technical awards, but Come on, give it a chance. Don't listen to the haters. I don't know where these haters come from, but clearly they yeah. haven't seen the movie. Well, and it's easy to find. It's on Amazon Prime. I mean, everyone's got Prime. Easy to get to. Go watch Sound of Metal. Okay, uh, what could have been nominated? Uh, I'm going to go a little outside the box here again with another early year uh, pick that um, I loved when I saw it in theaters. and um, And... I think some fans of the movie were hoping he would hang around to the end of the year and it, it never materialized. And that's Hugh Grant for the gentleman um, in like the craziest, most different Hugh Grant performance of all time. I mean, it was one of those just watching a guy who kind of plays the same thing every time disappear into this completely ridiculous role and uh, and completely own it is it was great. And so I, I wish he would have been a part of this conversation a lot longer than he actually was. You want to play a game, Ray? Play a game with me, Ray. Hugh Grant, the gentleman. Dodd. Uh, well, I mean, the, the I guess the one that would have had a shot at being nominated is Aldous Hodge in One Night in Miami. I think he was the best part of that movie. And But, I mean... 
I'm not. I'm not. I. I kind of. I kind of love the nominees that they picked. I mean, there's a couple others that had no shot that I have written down, like Bill Burr and Bo Burnham. But uh, Aldous Hodge is what I'll say. You, you you love the nominees, even though they include both Judas and the Black Messiah. Yeah, I mean, it's not like I don't <laughs> love those performances. Keith Sandfield's my guy. True, true. But he wasn't supporting. He was the lead. You were championing Lakeith Stanfield before Paul Racy. Yeah, that's true. true. All right, Zach, who could have been nominated? Uh, I'm going to say Brian Dennehy for Drive Race because this is now like the third straight podcast I've mentioned that performance (laughs) in. But he's really good in that movie. And it's a total Oscar baity performance. It's actually not Oscar bait. It's actually a really good performance. So RIP Brian Dennehy. All right. All right. Uh, what will win, uh, Daniel Kaluuya, he's pretty much got this one wrapped up. Todd. Yeah. Yeah. He is a minus 3000 favorite there. There is basically no chance anyone else wins. Zach. Yeah. I have it minus 2000 for a while. It was going to be that Sasha Baron Cohen was going to be an Oscar winner. Uh, but I'm glad that uh, the narrative has shifted from that. And this is also a little bit of overcorrection for, um, him uh, not uh, winning for uh, Get Out, I think, or got, not receiving more recognition for Get Out. All right. Moving on to Best Actress. For Best Actress, we have uh, we have Frances McDormand for Nomadland, Carrie Mulligan for Promising Young Woman, Andra Day for The United States versus Billie Holiday, Viola Davis for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Vanessa Kirby for Pieces of a Woman. Todd, who should win here? I mean, this is the hardest one to call. I mean, even with should win, because this is a list of amazing performances. We have my my winner in 2020, my winner in 2021, my supporting (laughs) actress, basically winner. And they're all in the same category. And I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I guess, I guess, I guess I'll say Andre Day. I, I said that at the Golden Globes. I thought she gave the best performance in the group. I, I'm still, I'm, I'm still not even entirely sure about that. But she is crazy in that movie, and she does, she has the most acting for sure. And uh, I think she should win. All right, Zach. Yeah, I, this is this is the race of the whole ceremony. Um. I have. I still haven't seen United States versus Billy Holiday. I'm Neither gonna. Uh, it's hard for me to pick Frances McDormand because I think if we look at the trajectory of her career, it's not going to be remembered as her best performance. Um, I'm gonna go with Carrie Mulligan. Why not? I don't know. She's the best part of that movie. And she is that movie. Yeah. I mean, she's in every scene. I mean, that's the other thing is that, I mean, Frances McDormand's in every scene too, but there's, I think maybe a little more visually going on in that movie. Carrie Mulligan carries that movie. So uh, yeah, for yeah, me, you agree, Carrie. yeah I, I'm going Carrie Mulligan, but it's really close between Carrie Mulligan and Frances McDormand for me. Um, and, and like you said, it, this is, this is probably Frances McDormand's third best performance, but her other two performances were also Oscar wins. So, uh, it's it's tough. It is so tough. But I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go Carrie Mulligan. But I so wish I I was going Francis McDormand. Now I would pick Viola Davis, but she's not in the movie enough. Like it's just it, you can't pick it. It's not a it's not a lead actress performance. 
every scene she's in though she's magnificent so maybe yeah. that should be my pick but it's like more quibble with the category and not the not the nominee yeah that's so what Anthony I said Hopkins should have won Silence of the Lambs right no, but this is different. I mean, she's really a she's really a supporting actress in this movie. Yeah, when I on our Spirit Awards thing, I said I wasn't voting for Viola Davis and I was voting for Carrie Mulligan because she was in the wrong category. So, I, yeah, I'm I'm kind of with you on that. But I mean, honestly, Vanessa Kirby and Andre Day were the two choices for me at the end of the day, and I, I guess I'll go with Andre Day. Vanessa Kirby was amazing, <laughs> but it's the only nomination. All right, Todd, who could have been nominated? Uh, well, I mean, realistically, I guess if more people at the time of the nominations had seen Quovada Saida, then Yasna Jurisic would probably be the choice. Mm, okay. Zach? Sydney Flanagan, never rarely, sometimes always. Although I do have a soft spot also for Julia Gardner in The Assistant. Yeah, I've got a, I've got a few here that I've been, I've been going back and forth between, um, I think at one point there was a narrative, especially after the Emmy win that Zendaya for Malcolm and Marie could, uh, could break into this conversation. Um, I thought one of the coolest moments of all award season was seeing Rada blank for the 40 year old version crack the BAFTA list. I thought that was pretty awesome. Um, seeing her getting there and then even something like Elizabeth Moss, I, I haven't seen the invisible man yet, but she was also awesome. And Shirley, and so she had two great performances that easily could have been nominated. So um, I, I'll go, I'll, I'll say Rada Blank is my, uh, could have been nominated simply because she, she got a BAFTA nomination. That performance got a BAFTA nomination. I mean, just, just let that sink in. That's just awesome. Over Carrie Mulligan. Over Carrie Mulligan. Yeah. Which, uh, and, and didn't Promising Young Woman win like best British film? And best original screenplay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so if they're if they're if they're weird, whatever their nominating committee hadn't been there this year, then Carrie Mulligan arguably could have won that category. Yeah. But yeah. She instead wasn't nominated, so we know nothing. We know nothing. All right. So, Todd, what will win? We know nothing. We know nothing. <laughs> okay. So, there we have really four. Four people that could win. Vanessa Kirby losing the BAFTA to Frances McDormand kind of eliminates her. So we have our Critics' Choice winner, Carrie Mulligan. We have our SAG winner, Viola Davis. We have our BAFTA winner, Frances McDormand. And we have our Golden Globe drama winner, Andre Day, which almost always the Golden Globe winner in one of the categories will translate to the Oscar, but it won't this year because Rosamund Pike was not nominated. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> Andre Day, I don't think is winning, but I don't. I could, I could see it. Uh, this is the hardest one to call, and that's why all the odds are within like two dollars of each other. Um, <laughs> I will say Viola Davis because it is the safest choice. I, I said I've been saying all along that I didn't think Carrie Mulligan was going to get nominated, and you guys were like, "No, she's a lock to win this." You were saying that when we when we reviewed the movie, and she. Now is still. Not, I mean, I still don't see it. Even though her movie has the most love, I, I think Viola Davis is probably the 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 one that I would pick. But I still. I mean, I don't know. I would. I honestly wouldn't be shocked if Andre Day comes out with it either. I am shocked you didn't go with Vanessa Kirby because like th this follows your narrative of the 07 supporting actress race where you you went out on a limb and said everyone's won something. 
So the one that hasn't is winning the Oscar. Well, I'm picking Tilda, Tilda Swinton the, for Michael Clayton. She won. She won the BAFTA at, like right after I said that though, and then oh. then the Oscar. So, but Vanessa Kirby hasn't won basically anything all year except for she won like I think like Venice or something. Okay, but I mean, if she would have won the BAFTA, then it would be obvious. Obviously, Frances McDormand would be the choice. I could see her winning this too. This is this this is the most wide open acting category I've ever seen. Zach is going to win. Uh, well, I mean, I've been saying Carrie Mulligan since the beginning. Since we reviewed that movie, I think I predicted her to certainly be nominated and be at least the front runner. So it would be inconsistent of me to predict anybody else. But it's like, I don't know. She hasn't racked up the wins that she should be racking up. Um, I mean, on paper, she should be a much more clear-cut favorite, especially given the Oscars' love for that movie and the fact that it, again, might not win a whole lot of other awards. I'm going to say Carrie Mulligan. A part of me wants to say there's going to be a tie, because why not? <laughs> there hasn't been a tie in a long time. There was that technical award tie like about 10 years ago, but... No joke, it's a tie. If a tie was like 10,000 to one, I'd put some money on it. Why not? It happened in the best actress category before. I told you, she doesn't have the Oscar scene. She doesn't have that scene. She doesn't do anything. I mean, she's amazing. She carries the movie, but she doesn't do anything Oscar-wise. She doesn't cry. She doesn't raise her voice. Like, she doesn't do anything in the movie that's going to win her an Oscar. I mean, I think you could say that for several other best actress winners. I mean, I don't know. Like, like, I'm trying to think of who, who are some of the. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Maybe you have a point there, but I'm still going Carrie Mulligan. Actress winner, you don't see a whole lot of that. I'm, but like, you could like I, Philip I, Seymour I, Hoffman. There's Cody. definitely there's fiery moments in the movie when she's spouting off at that university administrator. Her final confrontation with uh, Al Horford at the end of the movie, or whatever his name is. Not Al Horford. His, oh, na it, his name is Al something. I kept thinking in the movie, Al Horford? No, it's Al something. I don't know. Um, she has very flashy moments in that movie. Maybe not an Oscar. So, okay, in other words, what's the scene that they're going to show during her montage when they introduce her? I think that's going to be the university scene or yeah. maybe the scene where she's... Well, this is gonna be a, it's probably the scene when she's with Adam Brody. yeah. But I mean, still, like that's not really that's not an Oscar scene. That's not what you show to show what your acting range is. But I mean, I I agree. I mean, I think she's amazing. I don't I don't I just don't think that that's what's going to get votes, and that's why she hasn't won what she should have been winning. You make valid points. I'm still going to go with her though, because I gotta I gotta stay consistent with what I've been saying since the beginning. But with that, you could say the exact same thing about Frances McDormand. I mean, she's in the exact same boat. Nothing. There's nothing flashy about Frances McDormand in Nomadland. Nothing. So less flashy. It's less flashy. It's the. It's the. No I mean, one knew Frances McDormand could be that. That uh, non-flashy. What's the scene they're going to show for her? Maybe the scene where she's at her sister's house, kind of telling them off, but not even really telling them off. I mean, there's no. There's no flashy moment in that movie with that performance. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. All right, I'm. I'm going to go, I'm going Viola Davis. I, I I had that, that's what I had written down. Um, but I, I would not be surprised to see any of these, any of these five win. Not be surprised at all. So, uh, yeah, 
Vanessa Kirby oh. would be surprising. I, I, she's not quite in the same arena as the other four for me. Like I said, she was eliminated by losing the BAFTA. But, you know, I might have said the same thing about Adrian Brody in 2002. I might have said, well, you know what? Who's this guy? I haven't heard of him before. Well, did he win anything leading up to it? Or did he win? Did he I can't remember. Guy, right? Maybe. I, I can't remember. But, I mean, that was that was a sort of similar category because any of those five could have won, and it was the one that had the least kind of visibility and recognition. Oh, All Michael Caine, right. I don't know, is ever going to win. True. Well, let's move into uh, let's move into best actor. And uh, best actor, we have these five. We've got uh, Riz Ahmed for Sound of Metal. We have Stephen Yoon for Minari. Anthony Hopkins for The Father. Gary Oldman for Mank, and Chadwick Boseman for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Uh, this one goes to Zach first. Zach, who should win? Riz Ahmed, all the way. I mean, this. I think Riz Ahmed will win an Oscar at some point. Some people are saying this is kind of like Daniel Kaluuya and Get Out. It's sort of like his se- stepping stone role into something greater. But, I mean, this was one of the most dynamic performances of the year. I think maybe it's in part causing some of the backlash about portrayals of disability, but Anyone who's seen the movie, I that how can they not be impacted by that performance? So it's an easy call. Well, Anthony Hopkins is great too, but Riz Ahmed just blew me away in that movie. Yeah, it comes down to those two. And uh, at first, I, I wanted to go with Anthony Hopkins because it was, and I realized it was because it was the most recent one I saw. But but Riz Ahmed, I, I think, is is the one for me too. Um, I, I don't know how anyone could criticize what what's being done in that movie and its portrayal of of handicapped people because that that i i've i've never seen anything portray it in such a real way and just a completely non-judgmental way quite like that it, it's brilliant it's brilliant so yeah i'm going riz ahmed i'm saying anthony hopkins i i think it's one of the best performances i've ever seen and it's his best performance ever and that should be winning. But I mean, I would have, I mean, Riz Ahmed is, is amazing too. And I, I mean, he, that is like a right after it, but Anthony Hopkins. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it could go either of them, either of them for sure. Zach, who could have been nominated? Uh, I'm going to say, Oh, I don't know. This is a tough one. Um, Cody Clark for Strummer. Yes, but I think uh, realistically, I don't know. How, how about Andy Samberg? These are all very serious performances. Let's get some comedy in there. Not typically in the best actor category, but let's get Andy Samberg in there. He was hilarious in that movie. I mean, Riz Ahmed probably could have played that role, but I don't think any of the others could. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Andy Samberg, that, that's a great call. Uh, I'm going to go with the one that I think everyone was rooting for going into the nomination morning and it didn't come true. And that's Delroy Lindo for the five bloods. Everyone wanted to see that happen. And for whatever reason, it just didn't materialize the way it was supposed to. So Delroy Lindo for best actor. And I'll just throw out there too. None of us said it, but Chadwick Boseman for supporting actor would have been really cool to see happen. A double posthumous nominee. That would have been really cool. 
Does anybody really think that Gary Oldman was better than Cha than uh, Delroy Lindo? No. Anybody who's seen both of those movies? No. <laughs> Probably not. But it's like the, I mean, they gave Mank all those nominations, and they Gary Oldman had that nomination wrapped up before anyone saw the movie, so yeah. it was it was never going to happen. But yeah, it was Daniel Day Lewis and Lincoln kind of thing. Uh, Except, well, not good. Like Daniel Day Lewis and Lincoln was good. He had the nomination wrapped up, and then the movie came out, and he won. Children was great, but I mean, it's I mean, yeah, he shouldn't have been nominated. And Terry, you're going way off brand. I thought you were going with another movie we saw in theaters, and one everyone wanted to see happen. That's Ben Affleck in The Way Back. Yeah, he was yeah. on my list too. Ben Affleck was on my list as well. But uh, for me, I mean, should have been nominated easily. Mods Mickelson. Yeah, I mean, I that, that was my other one too. And of course, Lakeith Stanfield, but you know, wrong category. <laughs> yeah, but you wouldn't have nominated Lakeith Stanfield. You didn't. You didn't like that movie. You didn't think he was that great. He's he's not right now. He's my number one best actor for 2021. Oh, well, right now, okay. We'll see how long that lasts. Okay. All right. Well, Zach, what will win? Uh, Chadwick Boseman, the moment of the ceremony. I think this this gets the big narrative that the headline in the papers tomorrow is not about any of the other nominees. It's you know, Boseman widow delivers help heart, heartfelt message and. Uh, that's that's what the producers want. They're look they're uh, they're looking forward to that moment. What happens if Anthony Hopkins beats him? I don't think it's impossible. I don't think it's impossible. I, I think do people like get up and walk out? I I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. No, Chadwick Boseman's beloved. I, and true. His movie true. Is beloved way more than Chadwick <laughs> Boseman's movie. But. But I think Chadwick Boseman right now is more beloved than Anthony Hopkins. I will Hop Anthony Hopkins will give a special shout out to Chadwick Boseman in his acceptance speech if that were to happen. I mean, he's he not might... going to be there. He's not in L.A. and he he hasn't. He need to be a ten day quarantine in California before you can show up there. So he's not going to be there. So does that mean if he wins, he no one will accept his award? Or can he do it on Zoom? Like, what's the I, protocol? I don't know. I, mean, I I don't think there's no Zoom is possibility. Maybe they'll play a video or something. But I thought they were having like a London site of for the Oscars. I don't think he, he's he's traveling the world right now. I think. <laughs> <laughs> of course he is. <laughs> Maybe anyway. Jodie Foster can accept on his behalf and thank Jeopardy host Aaron Rodgers again. Chadwick Boseman's winning. I just okay, Anthony Hopkins right. is going to win, and Ooh, wow. okay, so and here is the uh, here is the uh, precedent for that. The feel good story doesn't always happen. Like, okay, do you remember when Sylvester Stallone was the favorite to win Best Supporting Actor, and then Mark Rylance wins the BAFTA and he wins the Oscar, and it's like, okay, we're never going to be able to give uh, Sylvester Stallone another award. We got to give him this award, and he didn't win. And that's the same thing they're going to feel with Chadwick Boseman. But but right now, Anthony Hopkins is in the more popular movie. He has the stronger buzz right now. Nobody's talking about Marini's Black Bottom right now. And Anthony Hopkins is going to win. And it missed the it missed the picture nomination, too. Yeah, I mean, I think... It's clear that The Father is the better movie, and they think that, too. They, they know that. So you're predicting that Viola Davis is going to win, but... Yeah. But, uh... But uh, Chadwick Boseman's going to be upset. Yes. Wow. That I, I don't see Viola Davis winning unless both of them win. I remember there was a year when Anthony Hopkins got nominated and he didn't show up, 
and they gave this really like sw like suave picture of him going like hey. like it was like a black and white publicity photo i hope they do that again that would, that would be that'd because be he's traveling the world i think yeah i mean that's what i heard but yeah he's he's I'm great sure time to travel the world in the middle of a global pandemic especially for 83 years old but more power to him all right all right best director best director is next and for best director we have chloe zhao for nomadland david fincher for mank emerald Fennell for promising young woman lee isaac chung for minari and thomas vinterberg for another round amazingly thomas vinterberg another round okay um I think I'm first on this one. So my pick for who should win is Chloe Zhao. I the she proves that she is just a master director with this movie. It is so so brilliant in so many ways. Chloe Zhao. Todd. Same. Yeah. Zach. Same. There we go. Okay. Who could have been nominated? Um I think. I think Spike Lee for Defy Blood should have been in this race. Um, I think it. I think it's crazy that this movie was forgotten as much as it was, uh, just because it came out early in the year. If this had come out in November, we would have a Delroy Lindo nomination. We would have a Chadwick Boseman nomination. Spike Lee would be in the in the running for director, and instead, all it got was original score. Um, I think he he needed to be in this race. Um, this is a, a much better movie than black Klansman was, um, which is where he finally won his Oscar. This needed to be in there. Todd, how about you? Well, I mean, I, the, the two I have written down are Florian Zeller and Darius Martyr. Yeah. I think both their movies are amazing. Both of them are very unique visions for, especially for first time filmmakers and, like it, we have a first-time filmmaker in this in this group, but th those two, I think, definitely should have been, especially getting more love than they did, because I don't remember them getting any best director nominations all season. That's a good point, Zach. How about Steve McQueen for Small Axe? I mean, I, that was never going to happen, but because of you know the loopholes in the voting, but I mean, the guy directed five movies. I mean, and each one of them is extraordinary in their own way. Like directing is an achievement. It's a feat upon itself. You can't always just, you know, give it on the basis of the the film, right? What what you see, what's manifested. Like the the whole project of small acts is so ambitious. Like I think the guy deserves some props for that. I agree, but he directed it and made it as a miniseries, so it's a TV thing. Uh, that's the that's the only reason I haven't mentioned it so far. I mean, Fanny and Alexander was a TV thing that didn't stop the the Oscars. That's a good point. All right, who will win? Chloe Zhao, Todd. Yeah, Chloe Zhao. It's as big of a lock as Soul is for animated feature. Yeah, Zach. Chloe Zhao, there all the way. Okay, there's that, and now on to the last category, best. Picture. So for best picture, we have The Father, we have Judas and Black Messiah, Mank, Minari, Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, 
Sound of Metal, and The Trial of the Chicago 7. Todd, what should win? The movie I have ranked highest from this year is The Father, and I think that that should be winning this picture. Okay. Zach? Uh, I would have no problem with The Father winning Best Picture, but technically I have uh, Sound of Metal a little bit above The Father. Yeah, I... Uh, uh, Promising Young Woman's my number one of 2020. I need to watch it again. Because I have it ranked that high. However, The Father, Nomadland, Sound of Metal are all right there in my head as as being just as uh, just as worthy of this award. So I'm going to say Promising Young Woman because it's my number one, but um, I need to watch it again. So, okay. Todd, what could have been nominated? Uh, I mean, Soul, probably. I, I mean, I... I, I think we all love Soul, and I mean that that was a, one of the movies that they were saying was, "Hey, this is this is the Pixar movie that has a chance to win Best Picture, not just be nominated." And it really never picked up steam, other than just the animated feature nominations throughout the way, which is kind of sad. So I, I think Soul should have been nominated. Zach, uh, well, I, I'm going to keep saying never, really, sometimes, always. I would also say First Cow, but realistically, why not another round? I mean, if it gets a Best Director nomination, it should merit a Best Picture nomination, too. But that's just the strange, stupid loophole voting they have with the Best International uh, Award, which just, I don't know, just scrap the award, right? Just let, let's let's consider them um, as valid as English language movies. Well, it is, like they, but the director's branch just loves international directors more. Well, yeah, because they tend to be better movies. That's why they should be, you know, nominated for Best Picture. Well, I mean, Lucas we saw love international directors more. This is going to be, what, 11 or less 12 years that a, a non-American-born director is going to win Best Director? Like, the directors love, <laughs> like, non-American oh, but, directors. Yeah, but you're talking about something different. You're talking about directors who were born outside the country. I'm talking about non-English, non-American films. And the truth is, most... You know, film critics, a lot of people in the Academy know that the higher quality content is coming from outside the United States, like Roma and like Parasite and like all these other movies that have gotten at least some recognition. So it was a little disappointing and, and maybe a little even surprising to really not see any of those films in, in the race this year, maybe due to COVID. But I feel like another round had, you know, a splash in this country and obviously had recognition from the Oscars. So a little surprising to not see it. Well, I think last year proved that 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 um, that stigma is is coming down. It's just it just is going to take a little while potentially, but uh, but yeah, I think I think it, we're on our way. Um, the one I had written down also was Soul. Um, I, I think one of the things that they did when they expanded the the uh, field was to try and make room for the more popular movies and especially some of the animated. After two thousand eight, when Wally and The Dark Knight, who two movies that most people said were the best movies of the year were left out. And then the next year up was nominated, which was inferior to Wally. And then the next year, toy story three was nominated, which was inferior to Wally. I know Todd wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but Wally I think is a masterpiece and an, an, an animated movie has been nominated since. And uh, I think soul deserved to be in there. Like Todd said, it deserved to ha be a part of the conversation potentially for winning. And it wasn't. Well, it didn't so. even get the screenplay nomination like Inside Out did. So, 
Yeah. I mean, it, it, everyone's saying it has a chance to be nominated. It has a chance to win Best Picture. It didn't disappoint on any front and yet just disappeared from the race. So, uh, so Soul could have been nominated. All right. Todd, what will win? It's Nomadland. I, I don't really think... I mean, I guess now after the editing awards that Trial of Chicago 7 has another step in the right direction... But I just don't see it winning any other award necessarily. I I can't. I don't think I've ever seen a movie win with picture and editing. So I think Nomadland is the only one that really could win. Zach, yeah, I think there's three films in this race. I think it's between Nomadland, Promising Young Woman, and Minari. And a month ago, I really thought Minari had a decent shot. Um, I think it's a little bit of an easier film to admire than those other two, and maybe particularly Nomadland. It's it's kind of more conventional in the way that it's narratively framed. I just don't know if it has the kind of buzz and enthusiasm that you really need to win Best Picture. I mean, it takes a whole lot for a movie like Parasite to win Best Picture. I mean, you need the publicity, you need the campaign from the studio, you need the support of viewers, and it needs to really strike a nerve with people. So I think given that last year was an upset and that... You know, we typically regress to the mean a little bit. I feel like I have to go with Nomadland, but I think either I would not be shocked if Promising Young Woman or Minari won. I don't Promising think it's Young as clear. Woman has no chance. Like, there's way too many people that hate the movie, and with the way they vote, there's no way that can win. Read this the category. read the Holly. I don't think it will win, but read the Hollywood Reporter Anonymous, dude. I mean, he like I don't know. I feel like he could be representative of of older voters that like. Uh, some of the some of the more edgy aspects of the movie, but also younger voters who are coming out of the uh, Me Too era. So I don't know. I feel like there there could be a swell of support for it. I I would agree with Todd. I don't think Promising Young Woman is the third horse in the race. I think it's the father. Um, I, I, if you're gonna say it's a it's a race at all, it's Nomadland, the father, and Minari. The for the longest, eighty to one. What? The father's at eighty to one. Really? But I, I think for all the things we've been saying about how it's it's catching steam at the right time. I mean, even since nominations came out, the father has gotten more and more buzz. And I think if anything takes down, I've been trying to think for like ever since nominations came out, I've been trying to think what is going to take down Nomadland because nothing rides the entire season as this big of a favorite. Uh, at least nowadays. The since, yeah. And you have to go back 10 years to have something that just swept the whole season like this. And I, for a while, I thought it was going to be Minari. So I kept on thinking, how? what's the narrative? And I guess you could say there is the narrative. I mean, Yoon Yoo Jung winning supporting actress. If it wins screenplay, um, you could see the scenario of it winning picture, especially since you look at, um, more times than not right now, director and picture split. You don't have them match up perfectly. Um the father surging at the right time. All it, ne- it knew it just needed to get a to be a part of the dance. And now so that's, that's the Chicago most popular seven of all has of them. A possibility. Chicago Seven's in second place on Bovada. It won the SAG and it won it, it it could be winning editing like that. And you think that's not even one of the top three choices? No, it won the SAG because it was the, the largest cast. I think the SAG ensemble means nothing anymore when trying to predict the largest cast and they didn't nominate promising young woman and i'm not saying promising young woman i'm saying the father minari i if if minari had won the sag 
I was gonna say I was prepared yeah, to say right sure, now that Mari's winning. Chicago best Seven did, and Chicago Seven could still win screenplay, and it could still win editing. Like Chicago Seven is very much in second place, and got snubbed for a uh, uh, perceived lock in best director. It wasn't a perceived lock. They they snubbed Ben Affleck too. Like they don't like people who aren't directors. It doesn't matter. We're all just arguing because to try and figure out what's second place behind Nomadland, because Nomadland's winning. So, um, I'm just saying there's no way Chicago 7's in fourth place. Uh, I don't know. I, I it, It's not that far down the list, but it's not winning. There's no... I, I mean, uh, is anyone passionate about it? Like, people were passionate about 1917, you know? People were passionate about Get Out. People were passionate about Moonlight. There's no swell of passion for the trial of Chicago 7. And, of course, in the voting system, that may result in it being second place. Is but... anyone passionate about Nomadland? I don't think there is. I, I think it's just, like, the default, like, yeah, it's probably the best movie. I'm voting for that. I feel I like this year's passionate about I it. I feel like this year's 2017. That's what I, I land on. And in 2017, you had the front runner. Pretty much the whole race was The Shape of Water. It was a female-centered narrative in the wake of Me Too, and everybody just kind of went with it, even if they didn't love it. Well, I mean, you could have said that about Three Billboards, too, though. Well, I mean, yeah, that year was an interesting Best Actress race as well. Three Billboards was like the promising young woman of that year. Yeah, exactly. It's 27. It actually won a lot of things, like the Golden Globe and Critics' Choice. True. Yeah, I mean, I don't. I mean, yeah, No Man's Land is going to win, and it just it just seems weird because it is is as atypical of a Best Picture winner as I think we've ever seen. Yeah, I agree. I mean, when we reviewed it, I thought this is just it's it's way too unglamorous to win Best Picture. It's way too it's not pretentious enough. It's um it's just it's way it's way too close to like Terrence Malick territory. And you know, we've seen like The Tree of Life and Roma and these films kind of falter at the end. Boyhood, these kind of unconventional films falter, but I think it's just I don't know, it, there's not a whole lot of swelling of support for these other films. I think that's the real issue. It it's kind of like it's almost like the 2020 Democratic nomination. It's like, okay, there are a bunch of these individual strong nominees but they all kind of none, none of them dropped out at the right time and nobody could actually pr- promote a forceful opposition to the front runner in the end I, they just need to decide on one of these films was it going to be minari was it going to be trial chicago seven was it going to be promising young woman nobody decided so i think that's just we go with the default i think it's what? easy for everyone to forget that that nomadland had a very unprecedented double up when it won the audience award at TIFF and the Golden Lion at Venice. No film has ever done that before. And especially looking at how the audience award at TIFF has really been a predictor of the Oscar race recently. And then you add to it the Golden Lion. I mean, virtual film festivals are a completely different animal. True, true. But still, it won those two things. And I feel like this entire season, everyone has been trying to say, and including me, how is Nomadland going to lose instead of saying it, it's a lock to win? You should well, pick I, the father, Terry, just just for the sake of it. <laughs> 80 to 1. I mean, you should throw some 80 money to on 1 it. might yeah. be worth putting some money down on it if I think it's that close. Yeah, I think I think a more strategic uh, release date of Judas and the Black Messiah could have actually made it a real contender to win, but... Agreed. The when it came out, it just and how it came out, it just didn't. It never got the traction. But I think that movie has the type of support within the group of people that have seen it that it could have been. It could have made some damage, and it ended up getting a, a decent 
like group of nominations in the end, like two two acting, screenplay, cinematography. But all right, all right. Well, that is our uh, those are our um, our shoulda coulda woulda awards for uh, for this year's Oscars. Make sure you are. Tuning into the Oscars coming in on Sunday and tune into the Almost Sideways podcast because I believe we're going to be doing some live reactions after the Oscars are over on Sunday night um, and recording a live podcast that will be up on YouTube live as it's happening and then will be posted onto onto the YouTube channel or the YouTube channel, the podcast channel uh, soon after that. So uh let's uh wrap this up do you guys have quotes i do awesome well let's wrap this up with quotes of the day strawberries not the cheese womack with a little sex in it quote of the day um i'm i'll i'll go ahead and start i've got nothing oscar related but there were some really fascinating quotes in war photographer and i wanted to say one of them um, and, uh, and this one was, uh, and I think it applies to kind of movies in general as well, but he said, uh, he said it near the end of the film, if war, uh, serves the purpose of stripping someone of their humanity, then, uh, photography is the antithesis of war. I thought that was a pretty profound statement. He just didn't say it in a very animated way. Kind of like Carrie Mulligan in uh, promising young woman. No, not Oscar. Like this. This is how he talked the entire movie. Sounds like he should have been played by Ben Stein. Pretty close. Pretty close. Same idea. All right, Zach, what's your quote? Uh, Well, my quote is, the most personal is the most creative. Do you know who said that? No. It was our great director, Martin Scorsese, and it was quoted by last year's best director, Bong Joon-ho, who also uh, ended his speech by saying, thank you, I will drink until next morning. And that is what I fully expect our live reaction show to be like one week from today. Are you actually not going to be drinking Starbucks water? Uh, no. Maybe? No, I won't be. <laughs> not if yeah, I don't Mank, have a quote. Not if Mank wins Best Picture. What's that? I don't have a quote. <laughs> you don't have a quote? Nothing from uh, Never on Tuesday or whatever? That was what it was called. (laughs) Yeah, I got nothing. He's got nothing. (laughs) That's okay. All right. Well, uh, with that, we're going to draw this podcast to a close. Uh, Thank you guys so much for listening. Again, you can find us all over the place. You can find our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, and Pandora. Uh, You can uh, find us on YouTube. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter uh, at Almost Sideways. I'm at Almost Side Terry. Todd's at, at or Todd is not on Twitter. Zach is at Prozac. He's got a burner account somewhere. He's got to. He's got to. Like Kevin Durant. Yeah. He's like the at not not sideways or something like that. We shouldn't. We need to make that a thing. Uh, All right. Well, uh, with that, we'll see you next week. Enjoy the Oscars. Have fun watching movies, and we'll catch you on the flip side. Despite your crass behavior, I'm glad we were able to do this together. Stop. Go to bed.